by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. All over the body of Christ, every pastor I talk to and every person that I've talked to that tells me about their church, the attendance is way down in every church. And uh, the Bible says, in the end, there'll be a great falling away. That in the end times, the devil will bring strong delusion. And if you ask people why they're not going to church today, they'll quote their strong delusion. Well, my job. Well, my family. Well, you know, COVID did this. Well, you know, my finances. I got, you know, I got to work on Sundays now. Well... Well, the Bible says in the end times that even the elect will be deceived. And I see people that have done church with me for 20 and 30 years. Well, I hadn't done church 30 years yet, but 20 and 25 years who are no longer coming to a, a church service on Sunday. Deceived. They're buying the strong delusion. We're living in a generation, guess what? That our children aren't taught that they even need to go to church. When I preach at Horn Lake High School, you know, I've got to remind myself, this is not a generation from the past when I tell them about church or something, they're not like, oh, I, that, at least I feel bad for not going. They don't feel bad for not going. They think it's stupid to go to church. You have to approach them different. I can't just say, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, because they don't know. We have lost a generation, but that doesn't mean we quit. You are the remnant. If you're sitting in here right now, you're still doing what you're supposed to be doing. When everybody else is falling away, a thousand fall at my left hand, ten thousand at my right, but I shall stay solid and unmovable in Jesus name you're still here you're still doing it and God is counting on us and to who much was given much is required you say but I've done my share there ain't no share you keep doing the share comes when you stand before God on judgment day how many of you planning on standing there I'm not, I don't want to come crawling up on judgment day. I'm sorry, God. Whew, I don't know why I'm preaching this. But I want to encourage you. You're standing strong in the storm. People don't believe we're in a storm right now. We're in a storm right now. We're in the end times right now. The battle is raging all around, and most people are ignorant to it, even in the church. They have no idea that this is the time the Bible was talking about. This is it. The devil is unleashed. 
He knows his time is short. He's throwing everything in the kitchen sink at us. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we shall overcome. We are more than overcomers in Christ Jesus who loved us. So I want to encourage you. You keep doing what you're doing. Don't you stop. Don't let nobody talk you out of your race. Don't let nobody talk you out of it. And for those of you who are watching by online, if you have to watch online, fine, but that is not a substitute for the body of Christ meeting together. It said don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And together we are the house of God we talked about last week. Not a bunch of individual stones left out for people to trip over, but a house for people to come to. A home. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That was a good segue, wasn't it? We're in a series entitled Hope Begins Here, and today is part three, Hope Begins at Home. Hope begins at home. Now, you ask, what was your home life like, Pastor Guy? Well, you didn't ask that, but I just did. <laughs> well, I was born the son of a poor sharecropper in Mississippi. Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. My daddy did rent some land and had him one little tractor. He was a sharecropper. And I lived, I was, just, I was just kidding about being a poor sharecropper, but I was. I was born and I lived in a house in the middle of two uh, cotton fields. It was a lonely existence. I don't remember much about it, but I do remember that day that my mom and dad called me to the kitchen table and they looked at me and they said, son, we're going to get what you call a divorce. And I was like, okay. Do I get to drive it? You know, I didn't know what to <laughs> Do I get to play with it? I don't know what this divorce thing is. But they said, daddy's leaving. He's going to go live somewhere else. And all of a sudden, I wasn't too excited about this new divorce. And I remember crying. It's one of my earliest memories, crying and, and begging and saying, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Daddy. I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. Please don't leave, Daddy. But Daddy left. Me and my mama and my little brother, who was about two years old at the time, we moved to the mean streets of Memphis, Tennessee. And we, uh, we lived on... My mama's cousin's couch for several weeks. She didn't have a job or anything. But she got one. She began to work. You know, she's in her 20s. She's got two children on her own in this big city. And it was rough. We were living in some rough apartments and stuff. I got my front two teeth knocked out by a bully. Is that funny to you? <laughs> Yeah, these are fake right here. They, they laser bonded them on. I remember that guy every day. 
I got molested. Uh, it wasn't easy. We, you know, I had to grow up quick. I was kind of like, became the man of the house by the time I was 10 years old, you know. My mom, she, you know, we, she made the final decision. She did the best she could, but she began to lean on me pretty heavily as a young man. And, and it was just, uh, we lived in areas full of drugs and alcohol and gunplay. And, but we survived. You know, I couldn't wait for mama would come home in the afternoons. She would work, she'd get off at five, and I'd be sitting there. Back then, you didn't have a phone, you know. You, just, you couldn't get a hold of her. And you just, I was just walking the floor if Mama was a little bit late. Because I don't know what, it was just something about Mama just gave me a sense of peace. When she got home, I knew everything was going to be all right. But until then, I'd walk the floor. She was late. I was getting nervous. Mama would come home. We loved each other. But we had a history of, uh, of being a, a family just wrought with guilt. You know, we didn't know how to treat each other or get anything from one another without using guilt. Uh, everything was like, if you don't do this for me, you don't love me, right? You don't love me if you don't do this. Everything, just guilt, guilt, guilt. We guilted each other half crazy. And, we, and therefore, my life was full of condemnation. I always just felt bad. I always felt like I wasn't doing something, you know. But what were we doing? We were just doing the best we knew how. We didn't know no better. We finally got us a little house, a little three-bedroom, was it, three-bedroom house, probably about 1,100 square feet, and we thought we was like the Clampets or something. We, uh, we was rich then, boy. <laughs> Doing the best we knew how to make it a home. In Psalms 127, I'm going to read the whole thing to you. It says, unless the Lord builds the house. Or you could say home, right? Unless the Lord builds the home, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Now he's talking about this is the way family's supposed to look. This is the way it's supposed to look. Let the Lord build the house. Have your quiver full of children that you're aiming in the right direction. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. You know, to have a gate means that you must first have some kind of wall. Because a gate goes on a wall, doesn't it? That means you got some protection for your family. And if you speak with your enemies in the gate, that means your enemies are not getting through the gate. That means the enemies are not getting into your house. So when you speak with the enemies at the gate, 
It's a better place to speak to them than letting them in the house. So when you let the Lord build the house, you have a shield of protection and the enemy cannot get in. God's greatest institution and his first institution, once he created man, was the family. It's still the most important institution on the earth. God put Adam and Eve in the garden inside the gates where they were protected. They had everything that they needed. They walked with God. They had God in the house. God had built the house. But they let the devil in. They listened to him. And what happened? They got kicked outside the gate. It was a little bit scarier outside the gate. Sin had entered in. And God told Adam in Genesis 4.12, he says, No longer will the ground yield good crops for you. This is the curse of sin, you see. No matter how hard you work, have you found that? That the curse of this old earth, it seemed the harder you work, the farther you are behind. It's like, do I have holes in my pockets? What's going on? He says, from now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on earth. God don't like us to be homeless. Sin causes us to be homeless, to not have a place. Today's message is hope begins where? At the home. They got out there and they had some children. One was named Cain and one was named Abel. And Abel, it seems like Abel had a heart to go after God. And so he brought an pl offering pleasing to God. But Cain, man, he was just a, he wanted to do it his way. God said to Cain, he warned him before he did anything. He said, sin is crouching at the door, Cain. Don't give in to it. Why are you so angry? We see these teenagers today growing up, these children today, angry. Sin crouching at the door, and we're trying to warn them, but they're not listening. And Cain went on and did what he wanted, what his flesh felt like doing, and he killed his brother Abel. The first man born on the earth was a murderer. Dysfunction had come into the home of God. But God's love, God's love couldn't leave us there. God left the comfort of his own home to come deal personally with our homelessness so that he could give us a home in Ephesians 1 5 it said God decided in advance you know how far in advance that God decided back before the foundations of the world before he created Adam and Eve he had already decided in advance he knew what they would do God's not stupid But God had decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. 
by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, the way he did bring us to himself through Jesus Christ was by Jesus going outside the gate to be crucified. So that we can come on in the gate and have a home. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. It gives God great pleasure when one lost sinner repents and comes where? Home. Comes inside the gate of God's protection. But since we were given free will, it's always our choice. You're going to stay outside the gate? Do you like it better in the darkness? What's your home experience? Now, we're going to talk about the ideal home experience a little bit here today, and some of you are going to say, man, that ain't nothing like me. Or, or, or we're going to hear some things today, and you're going to say, well, I'm a single parent now, and this, and or our, my kids are already grown, and, and I missed my chance. You're just making me feel bad by pointing out how we should do things because it's too late for me. It's not too late. And I want to point out that there is forgiveness if you did make mistakes. And I want to point out that we're all tainted by sin because of Adam and Eve, and we're living in a fallen world. And nobody's living the, has lived the perfect home life or has provided a perfect home life. Nobody. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's standards. So don't look at this like accusations or condemnation. Look at this as from this point forward. This is what I'm after. So what's your home experience? Maybe you grew up in a household with a mother and a father. Not many people do these days. Maybe you grew up in a household with Christian parents that took you to church. Not many people go these days. And it makes me sad for this generation. It makes me a little angry. And it makes me determined to do something about it. At prayer Tuesday night, Mary McCall got a word from the Lord. It was perspective. She said, I keep hearing the word perspective. And we prayed that out, and a lot of people have talked about focus and perspective. And I, I was thinking about that, and I was talking to Angie with it, about it yesterday, and Angie said, you know, perspective is the way you see things. That's what perspective is. It's the way you see things. So some of us have grown up in homes that were just a mess. We have a bad backstory. And because our parents did this, or, or because our parents didn't do this, we think, well, that's the way it ought to be because that's my perspective. That's the way I've seen things. That's the way I'll do things. But what we need to do is change our perspective. We need to put our perspective, make God's perspective our perspective. If you can, if your perspective can change, if yous can change, us can change, we alls can change. If your perspectives can change, 
your hope can change. And if your hope can change, then your home can change. So that's what we're going to do today is try to change our perspective on what is a hopeful home. And a hopeful home depends on who builds the home. Is it you or is it God? <laughs> and how much say are you going to give to the devil in your home? How much compromise is, is all right? <laughs> are we going to emulate Cain or are we going to emulate Abel? Are we going to try to be pleasing or are we going to do our own thing? Are we going to choose Edom? Inside the gate, or do we kind of like Sodom outside the gate? I don't know about you, but when I was saved, and that took a long time to get through this bonehead, this hard heart, but once I got saved, I got saved, and I determined that I want my home to be different, and I was about to mess things up. My little girl was two years old before I got saved. I'm glad she can't remember back then. Because I don't want to remember any of those days. And I'm not particularly excited about the way we did even being saved. I wish I could go back and do better now. But thank goodness I didn't raise them the way I would have raised them. And when I got saved, I said, man, we got to do better than our parents did. We got to break these generational curses. We can't just let it go on. We can't do what they did because we think that's what we ought to do. We need a new direction. We need a new perspective. So what does a hopeful home look like? Glad you asked. You guys are asking good questions today. <laughs> a hopeful home is full of God's unconditional love. It's a place where you find affirmation, not condemnation. We shouldn't guilt our children into everything. We should love them and affirm them. A family helps one another to discover our purpose and to achieve it. You know, when I was growing up, it was like a competition. If I did something, I was to my little brother, nan, nana, boo-boo, look what I did. And he was like, well, I did this over here, you know. It's better than what you did. And my mama says, I top all of y'all. <laughs> look what I did. Y'all, Some of y'all know my mama? <laughs> Bless her heart. I wouldn't be here without her. <laughs> she did the best she knew how as a young, young girl on the... Mean streets of Memphis, I tell you, she's tough, and she's tough because she had to be. A hopeful home loves Jesus and submits to the Bible as the final authority. Are you listening? What is your world view? Today, people say, ah, you know, I mix a little Bible in, but, you know, I like what Confucius says, and I like what Buddha does, and, and I like, I, you know, yoga makes me feel peaceful, and this and that, and we just throw in, well, we just decide for ourselves that we're God. 
And my way has got to be the right way because it's my perspective, and I'm God. No, you're not. Jesus is the Word. And we got to look to the Word of God. It doesn't change. You can see society changing all around us right now. It's just, whoo, I can't believe how fast it's changing. And if you want to keep up with their trends, good luck. You'll be on top of the mountain one day, and, and, and they'll get woke the next day and throw you off the mountain. I ain't playing that game. This is the truth. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen says, So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Now, I'm pretty sure that he's just exaggerating. I don't know if he wanted us to really wear scriptures on our head. But he's trying to make a point. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed. When you're getting up, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates like Angie does. In the closet, my goodness, she's got scriptures everywhere. She's got chalkboards and corkboards with scriptures on the refrigerator. She's got the, the Word of God written everywhere. So long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. That's the way you flourish. The Word of God is a seed that will produce and make you flourish in the earth. Not what the world says. They're waging an all-out war on our homes and on our family. Purposely confusing our children. Even about their own gender. As young as kindergarten. That, my friends, is wickedness. That is evil. All God's laws and ways are being challenged and ridiculed. His words are being twisted and dismissed. There's a growing hostility and rebellion to the truth in any one of us who would declare that there is a truth. The world don't like you. Get used to it. I don't care if the world don't like me. Let me look you in the eye if you happen to be on this video. I don't care. The truth is more important to me than what you think. It's this kind of thing that's bringing hopelessness to rational people. Proverbs 23, 7, 17 says, Don't envy sinners, but always continue to fear the Lord, and you will be rewarded for this, and your hope will not be disappointed. See, that's, you want some hope that won't be disappointed? Fear the Lord. Don't fear man. Don't envy sinners. Don't want what they have. Everything they have is temporary. And it's a lie. Also, a hopeful home is where God's structures of authority are respected. Your home should not be lawless. We're teaching our children to hate the police and hate all authorities. You see they're beating up their teachers and their coaches. 
Do you want to live in a lawless society? We should set this standard and the example as Christians. In our homes, there should be structures of authority. And parents, you should be the authority, the, not the kids. Do I have to say that? Ephesians 5.21 says to the husband and wife, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. So we all have some authority and some submitting to do. Romans 13 says, Everyone submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. You say, that I know that man was not placed there by God. Oh, we know that wicked man. Well, I don't know how they got there. And I don't know, that man will have to answer for how he, and I'm saying that man by whoever you mean. That man will have to answer to God by how he used his authority, but the authority he stands in was given by God, and it should be respected, and we should pray for our president and those in authority. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders. Wait a minute. I was with you until you said that. And do what they say. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Whoa, golly. I love the Word of God. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. They work to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That will certainly not be to your benefit. You know what be to your benefit? To let the shepherd be the shepherd. <laughs> but there's little submission to authority even in God's kingdom today. This is God's kingdom this is a higher structure than this governing authority out in the world, which will someday be done with. But this is God's kingdom structure. And there seems to be less respect for authority in God's house than anywhere. Today's sheep want to tell the shepherds what to do. Pastor, you need to do this. You need to do that. If you don't get that done, then I'm going to another church. <laughs> They want to, the, the sheep want to lead the shepherd around. <laughs> and they're offended if the shepherd should make a little request or make a change or, or, or make a correction that needs to be made. They get offended. They tell him what they can do with his rod and staff. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm serious. 
Today, you got to leave the one to go find the 99. But like I said, not us. You're the remnant. You're still here. That means you have made some right decisions in your life. Woo! Ain't that good, Larry? You're here, buddy. Leah, Sarah, Joshua. You're making right decisions. Woo! A hopeful home makes God's church and his kingdom a priority. You know, God's church is God's family. It transcends, you know, our natural bloodlines for a divine one. And while I love my natural family, I want them to be part of my kingdom family because my kingdom family is going to be together forever. Amen? Amen. A hopeful home teaches the children to trust God. That is your number one obligation as a parent. Number one. Not to get them to school, not to help them in sports, not to... Even if they end up resenting you, it's still your number one obligation to teach them to trust God. And let me just say, remember, you're the authority in the house. You decide when they go to church. Not them if they want to go to church. What do you think a little fleshly kid's going to say? That's why they're the kids and you're the parent. When Jesus was 12 years old, y'all remember the story. It says that his family went to the festival in Jerusalem, the celebration, as was their custom. And, you know, when, when they left, they thought Jesus was with them, and, and he wasn't, and they come back to Jerusalem looking for him. He, Jesus is lost. Where'd God go? And, and they're looking all over. And they found him on the third day in the temple. And he said, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? Right. Now, how did little 12-year-old Jesus even know about the father's business? How did he know he must be about his father's business? Because they took him to the festival every year. Because his parents took him to the festival. Parents. Bring your children to the festival. So that they may be about their father's business. The Bible says train them up in the way that they should go. It's the most important thing you can do. If you don't train them now, the courts and the, the jailhouse will later. So, like I said, don't despair if you hadn't got all these right. We're going to quit for now. 
Because none of us can claim to have mastered a hopeful and perfect home. We did the best that we knew at the time, and that's why we preach. That's why we come to church, so we can learn to do better in the future. If we had provided the perfect, hopeful home, then we wouldn't need hope because we'd already have what we hoped for. We're all broken and marred by sin, right? We're all in this leaky boat together. <laughs> it's, it's difficult down here. We're constantly vexed by this Sodom and Gomorrah around us. We're polluted by it. And we got sin nature that tends to, to be drawn to it. For some reason. We look at our own selves and say, how can I be so wicked to want to do that? Yuck. And we get mad at our own selves. We, and then the condemnation comes and the guilt comes. But God knows that we're but dust. God knows and He's merciful. I mean, Trying to raise a family is like being a little Dutch boy, trying to put your finger in to stop the, the dam from leaking. And it's like, oh, I got my little girl to go to church. Wait, my boy's over here doing drugs. And we're trying to, you know, oh, we, got, we can't pay the bill this month. And, we're, and family's just hard. And we're trying to keep the dam from breaking. But it's like families are just naturally dysfunctional. But we can't give in. We have to fight against the dysfunction. And wherever we find ourselves, I want you to know that there is forgiveness for your past. And repentance always turns you back in the direction of being able to say with a certainty and a heart, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Repentance always brings you back to wanting to serve the Lord and set the course back straight and to endeavor to build your house on a solid rock and not on a shifting sand. A house that will stand and not be bowled over by the storms of this life. So endeavor to build your house inside the gate of God's love. Build your hope inside the gate of God's love. There's always hope in God's house. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.